A reading from Jeremiah. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth, for to all to whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put his hand, put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord. A reading from 2 Corinthians. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. The word of the Lord. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, 
heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in our hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah. And the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to the Zarephath, to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the bow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him off the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. The Gospel of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In the season of Epiphany, uh, we are especially aware of your light that has shone upon us, that has shone out throughout the world. And Lord, um, help us through your Spirit to be bearers of that light, to always walk in that light. And shine on us um, today as we seek to learn and to grow um, from your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to uh, think with you um, today about uh, discernment, about the importance of discernment. And by discernment, I mean um, discerning between what is true and what is false and how that is an important part of our faith. Um, An illustration that's often given in regard um, to discernment actually comes from um, those who are trained to spot counterfeit bills. Um, And it's been told, I've heard pastors say this, um, that um, those who, again, um, uh, are guarding against counterfeit uh, money um, learn to do so by studying real money. And you can see why pastors love that illustration, right? The way to guard against uh, falsehood um, is to learn the truth and to immerse ourselves in the truth. Um, but I read an um, article, or I, and I read an article, it's not a but, um, and I read an article uh, recently where um, uh, a guy had heard this before, and heard pastors give this example, and he thought, is that true? Like, is that really true about counterfeiters? So he decided to reach out to someone who, that's their job, training people to spot counterfeit money, if that was true. Um, now, this is in Canada, and so uh, I wasn't surprised that when he reached out to someone, they were very nice to him, because um, Canadians are just nice, and they actually invited him to come into the bank and sit down with them, and they sort of ran him through the whole process of how do you learn to spot counterfeit money. And sure enough, to the relief of pastors everywhere, it is true that the starting point is you study real money. You study the truth in order to capture right the counterfeit. And so this person, this woman sat down uh, with this guy and walked him through, how do you study real money? What do you do? And she said, there are four things you do. You touch, you tilt, you look at, and you look through. I I love that. I've been saying that to myself this week. Touch, tilt, look at, look through, right? So you touch the money, you tilt it, you look at it from different angles, you just study it and look at it closely, and then you hold it up to the light and you look through it. And he said as she walked him through this, he realized one thing that struck him was as... um, he was encouraged to touch uh, the money. It's kind of funny because usually we use this in a negative way, like you're greedy, but it's actually a way you apparently check for counterfeit money. He said he was struck by how different real money 
feels from counterfeit money because she had him do it, then she had him feel counterfeit money. He said it feels really different. Even some of the most, you know, believable counterfeit money doesn't feel right. She had him tilt, she had him, you know, look at it, hold it up to the light where you see certain images that only come through if you hold the money up to the light. She also then, as she was walking through this, then began to present some literature to him that this bank apparently was producing. And she's saying, help me get this out to people. Because this woman's passionate about capturing, you know, counterfeiters and stopping counterfeiters. And she said, the more people that understand how to discern between real money and counterfeit money, the less power the counterfeiters have, right? I mean, that preaches, right? I mean, the more that say, I know what the truth is, the more that the counterfeiters aren't able to fulfill what they want to do. And she's like, we want to empower everybody to basically learn what you just learned. So as we consider today, this Second Corinthians passage, uh, uh, an interesting passage. We're getting to a very interesting part of Second Corinthians. Um, and we'll get more into the details of, of what's going on here. But again, I believe in this passage, there is a call to discernment. A warning, actually, to be aware there are false gospels. There are other Jesuses that are being proclaimed than the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is a a call to us to, again, be aware of the reality of counterfeit gospels, counterfeit truths, and to love and grow in our study and our knowledge of the truth. And so um, I want to walk through the passage, basically kind of get the sense of what's happening here, what's Paul talking about, what's the Holy Spirit talking about through Paul, and then to just have a couple of simple applications for us. So if you look at our Second Corinthians passage, just a word from last week, if you weren't with us last week, again, we're in a section of Second Corinthians where Paul's really defending himself. But mainly, he's defending himself because he's defending his message. He's defending the calling of God upon him. And as that calling has been attacked, as people are questioning, are you really an apostle? They're questioning the message. They're questioning the truth of the gospel. So I don't think Paul's concerned so much as with his reputation. His concern is that they continue to learn and to embrace what he's taught them. We see that um, in this passage. Now I talked about last week, there's sort of various ways that Paul's experiencing resistance here. But one of the ways is that there is a group that has kind of gained influence among the Corinthian church. They're probably not part of the church, but they're influencing it. And he calls that group the super apostles. All right. Now, he's not um, saying that in a positive way. He is being sarcastic there, as we can see in this passage, because he also calls them false apostles. Basically, this is a group, um, we can tell they're very into rhetoric, they're very into being impressive, they compare themselves to one another, sort of who's the best apostle, and they basically, they've said about Paul, he's a false apostle. He's not impressive, right? Why are you listening to him? Look at us, look how great we are. We see here, it's it's more serious than different style. It's more serious than just, well, these super apostles are obnoxious, um, uh, as revealed to us here. So, um, looking at that passage, it begins, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. That perhaps seems to us, that's a strange way uh, to begin an argument. Let me be foolish. This uh, speech, which begins here in um, uh, the first part of chapter 11, continues in the second part of chapter 11, and then into chapter 12, is often referred to as the fool's speech. It's Paul basically giving this speech, this teaching, and saying, I'm being foolish. And what does that mean? Why does he say, I'm being foolish? Well, next week, Andine O'Neill will get into this more, and so I'll leave that uh, mainly to her to explain. It's tricky. I will just say here, basically, in the introduction, there's probably a couple things going on that we'll see even much more next week. One, he's, he's probably acknowledging, look, the truth of Jesus is often heard by others as foolishness, right? That comes up a lot in the scriptures. So what I proclaim to you is truth, what we know to be truth, the world often says that's foolish. 
That's foolish that we could be saved through someone else's death, right? That's foolish that a man could defeat sin and death, that a man would be fully God and fully man. But that's the message of the gospel. And whether the world thinks it's foolishness or not, it's true. And so he's probably acknowledging that. He's probably also acknowledging, look, you've listened to these super apostles. They're fools. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're telling you lies, but you're listening to them. And so maybe I need to act like a fool for you to listen to me. So there's, there's levels here. Um, and, but he says, again, bear with me in my foolishness. Why do I want you to bear with me? Why do I want you to listen to me? Because I'm concerned about you. I'm writing to you out of love. For he says there um, in verse 2, For I feel a divine jealousy for you. I am protective of you because of God's calling on my life since I betrothed you to one husband to, prevent, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Do you hear in that the father language of Paul? He's earlier and said to the Corinthian church, I, I came as a father. I am like a, a, a father and you need a father. Here he's, he's building on that. Right? A father presents their daughter to the husband, right? I mean, we still have that today, that often it's a father who presents the bride. That was definitely the case then. And so when they heard this imagery, they would have understood, oh, he's saying he's like our father. We, the church, are the bride of Christ, right? Which we see that in other places in Scripture. And he's concerned about us. He's protective about us because he has presented us to Christ. And he does not want us to dishonor Christ, I think that fatherly language actually is really helpful as we get the emotion in this, as we feel how strong Paul feels this. And sometimes, especially again in the next part where he gets really sarcastic, we may say, man, this, this seems a little over the top. This is a dad protecting his children. Right? And that should be all we have to hear to say, oh, I get why he's so worked up, right? You know, moms, dads, you go after their kids, they get mad, right? They are protective, rightly so, of their children. And this is a dad who's saying, there are people coming and they want to lead you astray and I'm coming against it right? because I love you. I care about you. And so, right, you are like Eve being deceived by the serpent. And what it says, your thoughts will be led astray. That's not just like, you know, I'm afraid you'll get distracted. That's, I'm afraid you'll be corrupted. That's what led astray means there. That these teachings are corrupting you and pulling you away from your devotion to Jesus. And that imagery of Eve and the serpent is helpful for us. It builds on what we saw last week. This is a spiritual attack. Yes, he's speaking against the super apostles, these men, but ultimately he's speaking against attack from the enemy. This is satanic, right? It doesn't mean that they're Satan worshipers, right? But they're deceived. And they're being used by Satan to attack this church and to come against the truth, right? That's what Satan does. He counterfeits things, right? I mean, we see it right from the beginning, right? He presents what is damaging to us and says, doesn't this look good, right? Why not? Take a bite. It's great. And he's saying, it's my job, it's my calling to warn you against that. And this gets even clearer then in verse 4. For someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, or you receive a different spirit, or you accept a different gospel, you put up with it readily enough. So as I, I just said, right, we see here, okay, these super apostles, it's more than just they're obnoxious, they're, they're mean to Paul, and he doesn't like that. Oh, they're so mean to me. But that's not the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue is what they are teaching is false. It's a different Jesus, right? They may be proclaiming Jesus, but it's not the Jesus who came in the flesh, right, the Holy Son of God. Right? They're proclaiming a different gospel. It may sound like good news, which is what gospel means, but it's a false gospel. They are at work with a different spirit. Again, they are being led astray. And so, again, that's helpful for us to see, wow, this is really serious. Now, one of the challenges, actually, in the, in the book of 2 Corinthians is we don't know exactly what is this false gospel 
that the you know, um, super apostles are proclaiming. If you've ever studied the book of Galatians or looked at the book of Galatians, um, you know that Galatians is all about Paul correcting a false teaching that had come um, among the churches in Galatia. And that teaching, right, was that um, you, know, you had to, or men had to, be circumcised in order to become part of the family of God. They were saying, look, you know, Jesus saves you, but then you have to be circumcised in order to really, you know, experience the fullness of salvation. And that drove Paul crazy, right? He's emotional in that book because he's saying, no, do not listen to this false teaching. But it's not because he's anti-circumcision. He's Jewish, right? I mean, circumcision is part of it. He knows that. It's because he's anti-adding anything to the saving power of Jesus. If you say Jesus saves you and, then you're saying Jesus in and of himself, his saving work isn't enough to save you. That's the issue, right? That's a false gospel. Because that's saying Jesus alone cannot save you, right? It's not enough to put your faith in him. And something similar is happening here, right? There's some addition, there's some twisting, right? There's some compromise of the message of Jesus that they are offering. It is a different gospel, right? We know that um, they were very down on suffering, that the super apostles probably insulted Paul because he suffered so much. Like, you know, why would you follow that guy? Look at him. He's always getting in shipwrecks and getting beaten up and put in jail, you know. Why would you follow him? Right? Underlying that is the message of if someone suffers, they're not anointed by God. That's a really problematic message, right? That's a different gospel, right? Because we believe that the anointed one, Jesus Christ, suffered on our behalf. So there's something very serious happening here. Again, we don't know the specifics, but he's being clear with them. You're being presented a different gospel, a different Jesus. And so he says, look, maybe you're not impressed with my speaking, but I've given you knowledge, and that's the important thing. I've spoken to you the truth. Maybe these guys are impressive in how they preach, but what they're preaching is false. In the second paragraph there on the top of page 7, and I mentioned this um, last week, we get into um, Paul addressing the fact that they're mad at him, and one of the attacks against him is that he hasn't accepted support from them, which, as I said last week, that's surprising, right? We don't expect that. Why don't you ask me for money? But basically, they took that as an insult. And we don't know totally why Paul didn't ask them for support, although when you you know, read First and Second Corinthians, you realize, wow, there's some big issues here. <laughs> you probably just need a little distance. You know, I'm taking care of you, but I don't want you to feel like I owe you anything because of the way you guys operate. But he's clear here. I mean, I think he's basically acknowledging, I can see how this has been hurtful to you, right? I've, I've actually sought out the help from other churches. The Macedonians have supported me. But it's not because I don't love you. Actually, God knows I love you. So he's being clear. I realize we have a difference here of opinion, but that doesn't mean I'm not committed to you. And then in that final section, he comes back again to the danger of these false apostles. And he doesn't pull any punches, right? He's being super clear. Verse 13, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, right? They're servants of Satan. And we may say, man, that is so strong. You know, he's like name calling here. But I believe what he's doing is wanting to bring total clarity. Right, let, me, let me be clear in case you didn't get it, what I believe is happening here with these false apostles. What is happening when you listen to them? If you remember, there's a moment um, in Jesus' ministry when he was interacting with his, with his 12 disciples, and he told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to suffer and die. And if you remember, Peter, in a desire to be helpful, speaks up and says, no, Jesus, that's, that's wrong. Right? He thought it was better to correct Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. I mean, it's a striking moment. Oh my goodness, Jesus just called Peter Satan. But he does that to say, what you are doing right now is satanic, right? Not that you're worshiping Satan, not that you're possessed by Satan, but you are in line with the enemy right now. 
Because if you're saying I should not go to the cross, right, that's coming against the work of salvation. Peter, you do not want to be there. And I think in the same way, right, Paul is using strong language here because he wants there to be total clarity. If you believe a different gospel, if they are preaching something to you, Jesus and, right, Jesus is not enough, right? This is how Jesus is and it is not aligned with the truth, then they are servants of Satan. They are being used, right, by the evil one to lead you astray. Their end will correspond to their deeds. There will be judgment, right? I mean, I, knowing Paul, I'm sure he's hoping that they turn away, right, that they, they receive mercy and turn away from that judgment. But he's being very clear. What they are doing now will lead to judgment. So what, what do we do with this, right, in this dynamic between, again, Paul and these super apostles and the Corinthians? What does this mean for us? Again, I would just say two um, simple, but I would believe important applications is the first thing to say is we are to be on guard. That's a term, actually, that uh, Paul uses in 1 Corinthians. And speaking to the Corinthian church, and near the end of 1 Corinthians, he says, be on guard. Be aware that there is a battle and be familiar, right, with the tactics of the enemy. Know that there are counterfeit gospels. There are, in a sense, counterfeit Jesuses, false Jesuses will be presented to you. Now, another way to say be on guard is we could just say be discerning, and that's important. We should be discerning. I think what be on guard captures is there is a battle. And maybe for some of us, we're like, you're like, man, I know. I live in that. I think in general, 21st century you know, Christians in America, I don't think we have that mindset of there's a battle. And I'm not saying be paranoid. I'm not saying be reactive and, and walk around you know, uh, full of fear. But again, I think we need to just live in the reality there's a battle. There are counterfeiters out there. I don't think I've ever encountered counterfeit money. Of course, counterfeit money is supposed to fool you, so maybe I have. I know for a fact I've experienced a lot of counterfeit gospels, right? We all have. I've experienced a lot of messages of this will set you free, right? This is the way of life. This will save you. This is who Jesus is. And again, it's not um, unkind. It's not being um, reactionary to say, man, that's not true. And I, we get it a lot. We're constantly being bombarded by false gospels, by false counterfeit gods. And he is saying, be on guard. Know that this battle is real and be ready for it. And again, I think what can keep us from being in that place of, you know, fear or being reactionary is to begin, you know, as the counterfeiters or those who try to find counterfeiters begin, study the truth, know the truth. And when I say study, I don't just mean study, you know, write down, take notes, although that's awesome to do. But immerse ourselves in the truth, right? To, to celebrate, to gather together and to worship and to speak out the truth, right? To, to listen and sing out songs of truth, right? To invest in beauty and all these different ways that God provides for it. But to, to look at and to tilt and to look through the truth of God. So when we learn doctrine, right? When we learn truth and we learn, okay, Jesus is Lord, but he is a Lord who gave up his life for us. He's a Lord who calls us to submission and to sacrifice, right? We can hold that truth up in a sense like holding a piece of money up to the light and we can say, how do I look through this truth in all of that I do? What does that mean for me and my family? What does that mean for me in my job that my Lord is one who gave up his life for me? What does that mean for me in my entertainment? What does that mean for me in my politics, right? There's so many applications and that's the starting point to continue to look through the truth so that when we sort of hold up something and try to look through it and realize, wait a second, right? This isn't true, right? This doesn't have the same implications. There's something off here. I would suggest a part of, again, being discerning and being on guard is actually being willing at times to draw lines, to be able to say, this is clarity, right? This is where <laughs> we stand as gospel people and be able to say, that's not where we stand. 
And I don't think, I mean, at least the vibe in our congregation, I'm so thankful, is not one that we get excited about drawing lines. Ooh, you know, let's make clear who's, who's in and who's out, right? We don't like that, actually. We, we want everybody to be in, right? But sometimes we need to draw lines. Sometimes it's unkind not to draw a line. I hope all of you are familiar with uh, the song One uh, by U2. It's a pretty popular song, so many of you have heard it. As I said in the first service, if you young people don't know it, get on that phone of yours and look it up um, uh, because you need to listen to that song. Not right now, um, uh, uh, after church. Um, And you old people, you need to listen to it too. I'll I'll correct you as well. It's a great song. Um, uh, I won't sing it for you. But um, uh, the the story I've been told, I think it's reliable, um, uh, for where that song came from, or so the inspiration for that song is Bono, the lead singer of U2, was invited to something called the Oneness Festival, um, led by the Dalai Lama. So I guess when you're famous, you get invited to things by the Dalai Lama. And so uh, Bono was invited to this, and whatever the Oneness Festival was, apparently he felt like this is not in line with my convictions, you know, whatever it was. I don't, I don't know the details. And so his uh, response to the Dalai Lama was he said, we're one, but we're not the same, right? That's the line in the song. Basically, we share certain values, right? We share a certain um, mission, right? You know, to help the poor and to relieve suffering in the world. But we're not the same. There are some differences. There are actually some lines that we need, that need to be kept so that, you know, we can differentiate between what we believe. I had an awkward, hard conversation many years ago where a friend reached out to me and said, I want to get together. I'm so excited to, that I have something to share with you. And uh, we got together and he said, hey, I wanted to let you know I've joined a church. And I said, oh, I'm so glad. He says, it's the Church of Latter-day Saints. It's a, the Mormon church. And, and, you know, we really believe the same thing. And I, I had this awkward moment where I said, I'm sorry, actually, we don't. And again, he was shocked. He was like, what do you mean? And, you know, we kind of talked through and I kind of laid out, hey, there's some very clear, clear teachings in the Mormon church that are against the creeds that we affirm, right? That, that deny the Christian understanding of the Trinity and deny the sufficiency of the scriptures. And, and again, I wasn't looking forward to saying that to him. I actually was excited when he said he wanted to get together and talk about something exciting. But I found myself in a place where I, I need to provide clarity here. Right? And that's an area where oftentimes I know members of the Mormon church have felt hurt that we as Christians say, you're not Christians. But again, there's clarity, right? It's not hidden. It's, 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 uh, it's clear. But in that conversation, even if it was awkward and to, to talk through that, I also was trying to communicate, I'm so glad you reached out to me. I want to be your friend. And we, he actually heard that. At the end of our time, I was like, well, he said, I didn't expect that reaction, but I'm glad we can keep talking. Thankfully, we did keep talking, and actually, after a few years, he came into the Christian church, um, which I was very um, thankful about. But again, it's hard to draw lines. We feel snobbery. We feel like we're being exclusive. But I think it's what the Lord calls us to. And I should be clear that the false gospels we often you know, encounter, maybe sometimes it's going to be a different religion, a, a, you know, a different sort of institutional. But more often, I think it's going to be the false gospel of personal fulfillment. You know, that again, has overlap, right, with um, the Christian faith, right? I want an abundant life. I want a life of freedom. But then we realize, oh, at the heart of this gospel actually is your own lordship, not the lordship of Jesus, that you ultimately get to decide rather than submitting your life, right? There's a gospel of nationalism. It's embraced by both sides. On the, uh, sometimes it's both embraced by extremes, I should say, on both sides of the political spectrum, right, sometimes, right, in different ways. But it's a gospel that basically says allegiance to nation comes before allegiance to the Lord. Or it says, you know, this and this. And again, we can make long lists where something's added to the saving work of Jesus. And to be aware of that. But even as I say, be on guard. 
The second thing we should say and be very clear about is we need to differentiate between what are disagreements, what are secondary differences, and what's the gospel. And that's part of the reason, the, the truth of Jesus. And that's part of the reason, again, to grow in knowing the truth. You know, if my friend had gotten together with me and said, I, I became a Roman Catholic. You know, I joined a Pentecostal church. I joined a Baptist church. I would have celebrated. Maybe we would have talked about, oh, here's some things that are different between Anglicans and you. But first and foremost, I would have said, praise God, right? There's one gospel that we embrace. There's one Jesus who we embrace and worship. And so that difference is important. And again, if we read this and we feel like, man, you know, is Paul just, you know, is he attacking these guys because they were mean to him? And is he making it about the gospel? And really, it's just about interpersonal dynamics. I think it's important to hear this um, from the, the book of Philippians. For in a similar situation in one way, but a very different situation in others, um, there were other people that were resisting him. And this came out, um, comes out when he's writing to the f- church in, in Philippi. And he says there, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, right? That's sounds like the super apostles, right? They're people who are preaching Christ out of envy and out of rivalry. He says, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I put here for the defense of the gospel. He's talking about being put in prison. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. But then he says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Right, do you hear the difference there? He's saying, some people are actually preaching Christ to undermine me, to make life more difficult for me, but they're preaching Christ. And so I could actually rejoice, right? Even though they're treating me as an enemy, I rejoice that the gospel is being preached. But when the gospel is not being preached, right, then Paul's very clear. He again, brings that clarity. So let's be careful, right? Not when there are differences, not when there are things we don't li- like, not when there are significant differences, um, uh, to make that a gospel issue when it's not, to make that an issue of a, a different truth, a different Jesus when it's not. That's where, again, we seek the Lord to grow in discernment. Let's pray. Lord, in all things, you call us to act in love. And we know that as you call us to be on guard, to be clear about our beliefs, that we do so um, uh, not from a posture of defensiveness, not from a posture of fear, but a posture of love. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us to lead in love. Lord, as we seek to grow in discernment, Lord, that we, in the way we share the truth, would be marked as the way of Jesus. And the truth that we share would all come from you. Lord, give us um, wisdom. And Lord, help us. Give us opportunities for those who have embraced a false gospel to be able to hold out the truth, that we and all that we would do would celebrate the beauty of the truth of who you are and what you have done for us. And we offer this prayer to you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.